Well, good morning, church. It's always good to gather with you. Um, I just want to say that we are making a slow progress back to what we would normally do on a Sunday morning. Um, this past week, we, we moved around some chairs and we added a row. So I'm sorry if we're breaking any protocol going from six foot to maybe five foot ten. Um, but at the end of the service, remember, we'll dismiss you by section and try to space you out as you go. Um, but with doing that, we were able to add 22 chairs, and so we went back from three services to two services. Listen, I love preaching, okay? Even if it's three times on a Sunday morning, lunch at 2 o'clock was a little odd for me. Um, and for some of you, you're like, this is great. I'm super sleeping in. I'm coming to church at noon. And um, that was all right for some of you, and I, and I really was okay with it. I really was. But there's something about gathering more together and hopefully, July 19th, we have our worship night. Hopefully, on that same day, we'll give you more word about this, that we're going to offer a preschool class for ages 3 to 6 on Sunday morning. That will help some of the parents with kids. And we're going to, before we do that, we again, we want to be safe in how we do it and spreading out and all those kind of things. In August, then, we hope to add that kindergarten and first grade class back in, again, slowly but surely. And as school starts, we look forward to hopefully two pots and GPS kicking back on Wednesday nights. And so, again, I just want to say we're, we're doing it in a slow, precautious way. Um, but I look forward to when we're able to do all of that together again. You know, I heard about a man. He lived on Long Island, and he was searching for a barometer. It was one of his lifelong ideas and dreams was to purchase a barometer. And um, so he did. And when the instrument arrived at his house, he was sort of upset because the needle was stuck on the very stormy part. Matter of fact, his said hurricane on his. And he was sort of upset and he sort of shook it vigorously a few times like, come on, you know, get that needle back to where it needs to be. And he was upset. Next day, he writes a scorching letter to the people he bought it from and sent off that letter. He drove into, into the city that day in New York and and um, mailed the letter. And when he got home, well, the barometer was gone. And so was his house. Because a hurricane actually hit part of that area and wiped everything out. Now, the whole point of that story was this. He should have trusted the barometer, right? It told him what was going to happen. And he thought the barometer was wrong. Should have trusted the barometer, right? This morning... I want to sort of go back to what we've been talking about and thrust in that word trust. Okay? I want to throw that in hard because by now, hopefully, we've discovered that we have all we need to survive and not just survive, but to thrive in a difficult, discouraging and depressing time. We've looked in Philippians chapter four, verses four through eight. And we've, we've combed through that for over a month, right? And the Apostle Paul shared that, listen, we have a holy, we have a righteous God who never leaves us, never abandons us. So we, we pray to God. We praise God. We sing to God. We give thanks to God. We let our gentleness be evident to all, right? And then we are people who gather together. This is called a church, a gathering of people, right? We gather together. To worship, and not just worship, but to study, to read, to meditate upon God's 
word, his commands, his laws. And so we're doing all these things that we said we need to do, right? But let me ask you this. Even if we're doing all these things, has anybody here, and you don't need to raise your hand, okay? Has anybody here still struggled? I'm praying. I'm I'm praising God and I'm trying to be thankful and and I'm in his word. I'm meditating on his word and, and I'm singing and worshiping and I'm still having some rough days. I'm still having some sleepless nights. I'm still struggling. I'm still discouraged and I don't know why. And we sort of wonder, it's like, I thought I was supposed to do this X, Y, Z, one, two, three, and boom, I'm done, right? And I'm all better. Today, I just want to reassure you, we have all we need in Christ to survive this and to thrive in this. We do. We have all that we need, but we got to trust God and keep going through the midst of it. There, that's the sermon. Now I'm just going to explain it for the next 25 minutes, okay? Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. I want to start with the foundational truth that we as Christians must understand. Okay, so before we, you know, I get into saying we got to trust God, and you're going to hear me say trust God multiple times. Why should we trust God? As a Christian, how does this trust play into our faith? So we're going to start with the foundational truth of Christianity. So Romans chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 21. And I'm going to probably break it up and not where it would normally be broken up. So if you're reading middle way through a verse and I stop, bear with me, okay? We'll start in verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. Now, and again, if you have a pen, pencil, um, a highlighter, I'm going to encourage you, feel free to mark up your Bible here. But to be made right with him, you might want to underline that. God's shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as he promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Verse 32. We are made right with God. There it is again. Might want to underline that. By, and if you got highlighter <clears throat> or a pen, you may want to circle this, placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes? You might want to circle who believes, no matter who we are. So right now you're probably underlining made right with God and circling anything that says believe or placing faith in. Okay, because I want you to see how many times this jumps out. Now let's get to some bad news. I'm sorry. Verse 23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. But then right along after that comes the good news. Yet God in his grace freely makes us what? Right in his sight. We're made right with God. So you again, underline that. That's, that's the what. Now let's get into the how. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Verse 25 says, For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are, here it comes again, made right with God. You might want to underline that. When they circle it, believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Now, again, there's things that are being repeated here. Two things that are being repeated over and over in these verses. Made right with God, have faith or believe in him. Made right with God, 
believe in him. Two important things. Let's read on verse 25. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Verse 26. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. He's looking ahead into like right now, this moment. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners, here it comes again, right in his sight, right with God, underline that, when they, circle it, believe in Jesus. Oh, boy, that gets repeated a lot, doesn't it? We have to acknowledge that we begin in this state of not being right with God. Verse 23 said what? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are not right with God. We aren't. That's truth. We're separated due to our sin. But when we believe, which you probably circled three or four times, when you believe, when you have faith in him, when you trust God for what he's done, not what we've done, but what he's done, then we're made right with God. You want to get right with God? You can't work your way there. It's nothing that you're going to do. You can come to church as much as you want. You can read your Bible as much as you want. You can help as many old ladies across the street as you want. And why is it always the old ladies? Some of us men, when we get old, we're going to need help too. All right? Some of us need help right now. Okay? So all those things that you think you want to do to help people, get me into heaven? No. The only way to be made right with God is to believe, to trust him. Look at verse 27. Can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? No, I think I just went over that. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based, circle it, on faith. Verse 28. So we are, here it comes again, underline, made right with God, circle it through faith, and not by obeying the law. Your verses from 21 to 28 should be pretty marked up right now. And when you want to wonder about the relationship that you have with God and where it all begins, you can come right to this spot as a good helper. You'll find it all through the New Testament, but this is, this is really a good chunk right here. Our relationship begins with faith in God. We believe in Him. We trust Him. And we're now in God's family. He's our Heavenly Father. We're adopted in. We're His children. There's a psalm, Psalm 910, that says this. Those who know your name, trust in you, O Lord. You do not abandon those who search for you. Did you hear that? You don't abandon those who search for you. That, that was that Abe? Abe cried right on key. That was perfect. Because when the baby cries, think about this. Do you walk out and leave the baby alone? No way. When the child cries, you don't abandon the child. Matter of fact, that's probably why children cry. Because they feel like they've been abandoned. Thank you for that. Did you pinch him? Just him? Okay. Hey, all right. Love it. Uh, that's what I love about this church. All children, welcome. Please feel free to cry, talk. Whatever. Now, adults, you're not allowed to cry like that, okay? But that's a perfect example of when we feel abandoned by God. He comes to us. And in Scripture, he says, he doesn't abandon those who search for him. We're made right with God. Those who trust God must remember The promise that he will not abandon those who search for him. Again, this this promise that we find in God's word, it's not about escaping problems. I'm just going to trust God so I can get rid of all these problems around me. 
That's not what it's about. It's not about avoiding loss. The promise is that those who are his children in moments of difficulty and depression and loss and struggle, God says, I'm not leaving you. I'm not abandoning you. Listen, church, just because it's dark in your life doesn't mean you're not seeing God, that he's not there. I'm going to give you a simple example, a simple illustration. I saw this is actually part of the kids' vacation Bible school coming up. Um, they're going to be doing this, I believe, help me out, Paul, is it August? Or vacation Bible school? doesn't matter. It's going, to be in, it's going to be out there eventually. I can't remember, drawing a blank. But in this curriculum, the kids are going to see this. You guys, we're all going to get a, a peak presentation of this, okay? So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to put a picture on the screen. And on that screen, you look at, there's going to be four dots in the very middle. Okay, here comes the picture. Now stare at the four dots for the next 25 seconds. Don't look anywhere else. Just stare at those four dots. Go, just stare at them. Now close your eyes. Close your eyes. What do you see? What do you see? Jesus? Anybody see Jesus? Oh, yeah. Okay, you can open your eyes. It's sort of an amazing little optical illusion there, okay? For some of you that are off this side, it might have been a little hard. But straight on, when you look at that picture, you those, those four dots, stare at it for about 20, 25 seconds. You close your eyes, and you see Jesus. When you look around in the world right now, and it gets dark and you close your eyes, you're just like, get me out of here, Lord, right? Just a reminder that when times are tough, when things get dark, Jesus is right there. He is right there. Psalm 119. I shared uh, last week about how God's laws, his instructions, his commands through Psalm 119 is a pretty incredible thing. They're like a guardrail that keeps us from going off the side of the mountain. They're like a border like we use on the fish tank that holds the water in, right, so the fish can survive, right? That's God's word. keeps us from destruction and death. God's word brings order, not chaos. Following his word, as I said last week, is like staying on the trail, keeping us where we need to be. If you missed that sermon, go back, watch it, listen to it. Because here on that path of God's word, there is joy. There is a blessedness. Staying on that trail, though, following those commands, listen carefully. Staying on that trail and following those commands, though, doesn't save us. Go back to Romans 3. What saves us? Our faith, our belief in Jesus Christ. I can be a non-Christian and not have faith in God and talk about Scripture and read the Bible. A lot of people do that. Matter of fact, the Bible gets misquoted a lot by people. Just because you can read the Bible, just because you can quote a Scripture, doesn't mean you're right with God. But God gives us this word to stay on track, right? We just read Romans 3. Believing in Jesus Christ is what saves us. Trusting Jesus. Not doing things for Jesus. First, we trust and believe. Then we obey. 
Just like the song. You remember the song? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. However, while we're trusting and obeying his words, while we're staying on the trail, we are still going to face difficult times. We're still going to face challenging times. So what do we do? Keep trusting. There's, there's, there's no other answer, and it's not always simple. Because, again, as we've gone through this sermon series, and people are like, but I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, but I'm still struggling. Yes, because you're still on this planet. You're not in the presence of God yet. So, yes, this is a part of life. And all I can say to you, my Christian brothers and sisters, is keep trusting God. Stay on that trail. John 1, 12 says, but to all who believe him, to the, all who accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. Those of us who believe, those of us who trust, we're God's children. And God does not abandon his children. A couple verses from Psalm 37. This is one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 37, verse 25 says, Once I was young, now I'm old, yet I've never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. Verse 28 goes on to say, For the Lord loves justice, and he will never abandon the godly. I believe that our God, although we are still here on this planet and we're not in his presence, He is with us, and he never abandons us. Never abandons us. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. We're going to read through some of this scripture. I just showed you two of my favorite verses from that scripture, but I'm going to back it up. And we're going to start in verse, verse 3. Psalm chapter 37, verse 3. It says this. Trust in the Lord. There's that first key word again, that trust. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust and obey, right? Then you'll live safely in the land and prosper. Verse 4, take delight in the Lord. He will give you your heart's desire. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Here it comes. Trust him and he will help you. Verse 6 goes on to say, He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. You might want to underline this. Verse 7, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. That's called keep trusting. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Verse 8, Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm, for the wicked will be destroyed. But those who, what? Trust in the Lord will possess the land. As I read through this psalm, I'm reminded, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. Be still in his presence. Just wait there. Isn't that hard? Because sometimes as Christians, we feel like we have to do, we, I, I must not be doing my five steps or my three steps or whatever steps I need to take to accomplish this spiritually. Well, we've had four, five, six, seven sermons on, and I've, I went through those, and I did those things, and uh, still challenged. Keep trusting. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8-10, he said this, We're pressed 
on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in us. We go through the suffering. We go through the challenges. And we are so connected to Jesus Christ with his sufferings. But guess what? Jesus Christ is dead or alive. What is he? He's alive. We too are alive in Christ. Oh yeah, we're connected to him with our sufferings, but we're also connected to him with life. We are not abandoned. So church, stay focused. Continue to trust God. I don't know if you got any Rocky fans out here, Rocky Balboa. Nobody wants to admit it, right? I can't remember what movie clip it's from. Five or six or seven, I lost track of the numbers. I think it's five. Um, Basically, that's when Rocky is talking to his grown-up son. And his son is like yelling at his dad and like, dad, you should be ashamed of yourself. People are making fun of you because of your age and you're going to go back in the boxing ring and so forth. And Rocky looks at his son and he gives this motivational speech. And he's like, uh, you know, uh, Adrian not here right now, you know. And I used to hold you in my hand, son. And I really can't do Rocky. But anyway, he gets into this great motivational speech and he He looks at his son and basically he tells him, listen, this world is not rainbows, okay, and flowers and ponies. You're going to get knocked down. But it's not about how many times you're getting knocked down. It's about what? If you're going to get back up. And he gives this incredibly motivational speech to his son. It's probably one that every coach should be playing for their athletes just to remind them. But he goes on to say this. He goes, you're better than that. He looks at his son and goes, you're better than that. Now, why would he look at his son and say, you're better than that? Because he knows his son. His son is listening to the world. His son is getting knocked down and he's ashamed of his life and his dad's life. And his dad's like, are you kidding me? I didn't raise you that way. You're better than that. Get back up, right? And I think sometimes we need to hear that from our Heavenly Father. We need to hear that from God above. We need to hear the words of God look at us and say, hey, you're better than that. You have Jesus Christ in you. You are victorious. You're not defeated. My very spirit is in you. Stand up. You're better than that. Sometimes I think we need to hear those words from our Heavenly Father. I don't know if you've ever watched an athlete compete and they fall, what's your first thought? What's the first thing you want to say? Get up, right? You don't laugh, like, <laughs> look at them on the ground. If it's your team, if it's your athlete, if it's your child, and they trip and fall, first thing you're saying is, get up, get up, right? Just as a parent, I would yell that to my sons. That's what God does with us. Get up. Get back up. Turn to Psalm 119, please. Psalm 119. Last scripture I believe we're going to be looking at this morning. Psalm 119. 
Again, this Psalm 119 is so incredibly full of great things. Let me start off here. It says this, Be good to your servant. Okay, again, the psalmist, we don't know who the psalmist is. We don't know who the author is. They're writing here and they're saying, Be good to your servant that I may live and obey your word. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. Because at this point in time, the psalmist is struggling. Things seem so dark in their life and discouraging. He's like, Open my eyes so I can see your instructions. I want to see more of you, God. I want to see less of my opponents in my life. Verse 19 says, I'm only a foreigner in the land. Don't hide your commands from me. See, because, again, God's word is like a roadmap for life. He doesn't know where he's going, especially when traveling in a world that's so unfamiliar to us. We're foreigners, right? Safe routes are needed. Obstacles need to be removed, right? God's word is our roadmap. So that's what the psalmist is saying here. Verse 20. I am always overwhelmed with the desire for your regulations. You rebuke the arrogant. Those who wander from your commands are cursed. See, the psalmist wants God's favor. The psalmist desires to see more of God, to know more. While those others maybe wander and reject God's word, he wants more. Verse 22. Don't let them scorn and insult me. For I have obeyed your laws. Even princes sit and speak against me. Listen, church. He's sitting there saying, see, it's not just anybody. Even, even those in high authority speak against us as Christians in our faith, right? But what does he say? But what? But I will meditate on your decrees. Your laws please me. They give me wise advice. Regardless of what others say, stick to being in or meditating on God's word. Again, I don't know if I can continue on what's going on in my life right now. Listen, stay in God's word. Regardless of what other people are saying, get back into God's word to keep you on path. That's one way, you know, how do, how do I not give up? Well, first of all, just stand back up. I'm not asking you to move far. Just stand up, get back up on your feet. Pick up God's word and get back into it. Psalm 119 Verse 25, before I read that, I guess I do want to say this. There are days when I personally feel run down, okay? See, it's easy for me to preach this. You know why? Because I go through it about every other day. Where I feel maybe emotionally, physically, spiritually worn down for some odd reason or another. And I'm telling you, there are days when maybe I don't feel so Christ-like. Anybody been there? Nobody wants to admit it, right? The easy thing to do in those moments is what? Quit. Right? Don't work. I, you know, here's the thing. I can give myself reason to seek pleasure. Pleasure that I know that is not honor God. But in the back of my mind, you know, it's like the angel and the little devil, you know, on the shoulder. The devil's like saying, Rex, just, you're tired. You're emotionally whipped. You're spiritually whipped. Just... Take a, take a moment for yourself. Take a day for yourself. Take as long as you want for yourself, Rex. And then the little angel over here is like, no, don't do that. You know it's right. You know what I'm talking about? Right, okay, I'm getting a little worried here. Are some of you thinking that your pastor's losing it? Maybe? Just a little bit. Really, Jamie? Oh, man. There are times that that goes on. You know, that that battle. But when I look at God's word, I sit there and say, I know better. I know better. Verse 119, or verse 25 says, I lie in the dust. 
Revive me by your word. Verse 28 says, I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. The psalmist is feeling that way too. Not only do I need direction, the psalmist is sitting here saying, I need hope. I need encouragement. I need some energy, right? Verse 29 says, keep me from lying to myself. Oh, how real that is. I can easily tell myself the world is going downhill and I deserve a break. My efforts are meaningless. I can lie to myself. You ever done that recently? Maybe just sort of lie to yourself, but yet you know what is true. Verse 30 is that stake in the moment ground, that moment when you say, okay, from this day forward, I will. I love it. The psalmist is like, you know what? Here it goes. Boom. I've chosen to be faithful. I've determined to live by your regulations. I cling to your laws. Lord, don't let me be put to shame. I'll pursue, I will pursue your commands. For you expand my understanding. The psalmist like, you know what? I could lie to myself. I'm lying on the ground right now. I'm emotionally distraught. But I will stand. I will stand. I'm holding on for dear life. I'm going to cling to what is true. I know what's true. And I'm going to pursue and I'm going to chase after God's holy words and direction and hope for my life. I believe it's easy to get in that downward spiral and allow yourself to lie to yourself and to listen to the junk that goes on around us and let that take control. But that's when we have to pray. We have to pray, keep me from lying to myself, Lord. May your Holy Spirit voice be loud and clear in my mind and in my heart. And we listen for God's Holy Spirit to speak to us. And we listen for him to say, hey, get up. Trust me. Right? That's what we want to hear from God. Trust is huge, right? See, when it comes to relationships, if you have no trust, you have no relationship, do you? Think about it. Great teams have teammates who trust each other. There's, there's you know, it's sort of fun when I see some of the college students come home and they bring their teammates with them. Uh, Avery, I know you brought some with you. Abby, you got some of your teammates with you today. Great teammates trust each other. They trust their coach. Their coach trusts their players, right? A boss has to trust his employees. Employees have to trust their boss. Without trust, relationships don't happen. Success doesn't happen. Marriage, relationships matter, don't they? With trust of all the relationships, if you can't trust your spouse, your relationship is not going to go very far. Many of you, you won't get on the ride at the fair. Why is that? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because you've seen that ride for 30 years be put together by the old clankety, uh, rusty tool, and it's been traveled around over 100 times every year, and you're like, I don't know if I trust that, right? Trust is huge. Trust is going to put you on that ride or not. You go into a restaurant. Are you going to eat there or not? I don't know. Do I trust the person who's back fixing the food right now? If you trust him, you will eat. How big is trust? It's huge, right? You won't stay at a hotel. Unless you what? Trust the location, trust the safety, trust the cleanliness of that hotel. If you stayed at a hotel before and you pull back the sheets and you're noticing a bunch of little things crawling, you're like, I'll never stay at that hotel chain ever again, right? Trust is built and it's an incredible thing needed in relationships. It's foundational, right? If you don't have trust, you won't engage in that relationship. So church, let me ask you, if you're struggling right now with your relationship with God, trust might be the underlying issue. 
If you're not trusting God, or if you're having a hard time trusting God, you will be challenged during this time. So we step back and say, God, I want to trust you. And he says, get up. Trust me, right? There's a book called Land Between. It's referred to a friend of mine. His name is Brad Gray. Brad Gray is a great teacher. Um, I love listening to his podcast. Um, he takes God's word and teaches the text as it needs to be t- taught. And he uh, shared about a book called The Land of Between. And basically it was, it's when the children of Israel were in Egypt as slaves. And Moses comes and frees them and is going to take them to the promised land. But in the middle was what? The wilderness. It's the land in between. You have to understand in Exodus 13, the people have been in slavery for, for uh, over 400 years. And despite living in this place of slavery, look at the land they lived in. See that big green section there on your map? That's where they were living. It was a lush, green, beautiful place physically compared to its surroundings, right? Even though they were still slaves. It was along the Nile River, so the vegetation was good. The river there fed into it, right? But in their slavery, they cried out to God. He heard their voices. He knew of their misery. And he sent Moses to deliver them to the promised land. Now, in Exodus chapter 13, verse 20, it says the Israelites, this is when the ten plagues have taken place. Moses gets the children of Israel. They're leaving Egypt. And they went about 13 miles, and they set up camp that first time. And he says they left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Check out the edge of the wilderness. See how it goes from green, boom, right to wilderness. It isn't even a fade. They camped on the edge of the wilderness. They're heading into the desert. And if you read through Exodus 13 and 14, they travel into the desert, then they make a U-turn, and Pharaoh chases after them, and suddenly they feel trapped like God's against them, and they, they want to go back. Listen to this, Exodus chapter 14. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up, and they panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Why have you done this to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen when we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better for us to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. You see, they're in the land in between. They left this beautiful, lush Egypt. They're going to the promised land, and they're in the wilderness. Sound familiar, church? Anybody remember what life was like last February? Anybody remember where, or think of where you want to be next year? We're in the land in between. A pandemic, unrest, election year, you name it. There's a lot going on right now. It feels like we said before, wilderness. And the children of Israel said this, you know, it's easier to be a slave in Egypt than to trust God in the desert. That's huge. Think about it. It's easier to be a slave in Egypt than to trust God in the wilderness. How easy was it to trust God back in February? Pretty easy, right? Here we are, church, in the wilderness. You ready to trust God now? How many of you are like, I wish we could just go back the way things were? You can't. That was the past. Right now where we are, trust God. Because there is a promised land. I believe that. I don't know what it looks like for what it's going to be like next month. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. 
they didn't know what was going on, these children of Israel, as they're just struggling to make it through the wilderness, trusting God. And we may think they had God with his powerful plagues, right, to look at. And it's like, well, wait, the New Testament, the disciples, they had Jesus walking with them. It's easy to trust God when you can see his power. It's easy to trust God when you can see Jesus and his miracles. But you know what? Please remember this. They didn't have this. We read the stories. We know what's coming. We know it's going to be a good ending for most of them, right? They didn't have that. What did they have to do? They had to trust God on the spot. We don't have our book written yet. So I encourage you to trust God right now, right when you're at. When Paul wrote Philippians 4, verses 4 to 8 that we studied, he wrote from a prison, right? He trusted God as he wrote. And we have those beautiful verses. Would you please stand? Church, how are you doing with trusting God right now? Do you trust God with your finances? Do you trust God in your relationships? Do you trust God with your life saying, I don't know what today holds, but I trust God. I will stand and trust God. Think about this. Parents, you know what it means to trust. Trust is dropping your child off on the first day of kindergarten. That's trust. Trust is getting in your car with your 16-year-old when they're trying behind the steering wheel for the first time. That's trust, isn't it, parents? Trust is giving my son an air gun and telling him to nail down a couple shingles. That's trust. I still have my fingers. All life is good. Trust is taking your child to college and dropping them off at the dorm and leaving. Trust is trying to make it through a pandemic without losing your mind. Church, are you willing to trust God? He is worthy to be trusted. Let's trust him. Keep going. Keep going. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. God, I thank you for your word. It's so true. And there's so many challenges there. And God, sometimes we think we've done everything your word says. So why isn't life getting better? Why am I still challenged? Because we're still on this planet. So God, while we're on this planet, with a relationship with you, we believe in you. God, help us to trust you, not just foundationally, but every day. Every day, let us trust you. We love you, Lord. And we want to trust you. And maybe there's somebody in this room right now that's never placed their faith in you. This would be a great day to begin that relationship, to trust you. Lord, all we we need to do is just begin with by admitting we are sinners. We've blown it. We can pray that right now. God, forgive me. I have sinned. I have sinned against you, a holy God. Forgive me, Lord. Come into my life, Lord. Save me. I believe you. I believe you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me and to take my sins. I believe that. Thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to save us. I believe. I believe that truth. God, help me to live for you. Help me to stand when I'd rather much just lay down and, and complain and whimper. Help me to stand up. Help me to trust you take that next step forward, whatever it may be. God, thank you that you are here with us today, Lord. We love you. 
the name of Jesus Christ we pray.